words to us that we can use to speak to you thank you for the mercy and the blessing in that and you engage our thinking and our minds but you also wonderfully engage our hearts too so we pray the lord now as we listen to psalm 3 and as we learn to speak it and sing it from our hearts please may we understand you Please may we grow and deepen in our relationship with you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, thank you all very much indeed for extra special long listening today, uh, to listening to those wonderful stories in Farsi and in English, uh, and in carrying on now engaging with listening uh, to God's word together. I want to uh, begin by encouraging you or inviting you, uh, if you can, to use your imagination just a little bit. Imagine being betrayed by someone very close to you. Maybe being betrayed by a member of your family. Uh, imagine being betrayed by a member of your family and as a di direct result of that betrayal, you then lose your job. And you don't just lose your job, you get evicted from your home. And when the wider community hears what has happened to you, instead of having pity or compassion upon you, they cancel you. They reject you. People scream about you and at you and gossip about you in the press and they curse you on social media. That happens. Imagine it happening to you. You have no one to turn to, and you have nowhere to go. You end up homeless and helpless. You wander around the countryside, sleeping in hedges and ditches. I wonder, could you imagine the isolation and the hopelessness and the intensity and the stress and the pressure if that happened to you? So you read the introduction or the title to this psalm for us. And if you look at it again, it says a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. What I've just described to you for your imagination is actually what happened to David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And you can read about that in other books of the Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 15 and chapter 16. Some of us, can relate very closely, indeed, to David's experiences because you have fled from your home. You have already been forced on a dangerous journey to seek sanctuary here in the UK. And that is the story of the five stories that we've heard already today were those who have been baptised, having to flee from family and loved ones, being forced on the run, and having nowhere to home, nowhere to call home. 
and eventually ending up actually in a church like ours and finding a new family. And thank God for that. But you know the trauma and you know what it is to go on a difficult journey and to seek sanctuary. Others of, us, others of us don't share that experience, that exact experience. But, you know, we do endure other traumas in our lives, which means we can empathize with Psalm 3. And in actual fact, we find that God in Psalm 3 empathizes with us because none of us are immune to pain and trouble and trauma in our lives and in our hearts. The question that we have as we come to Psalm 3 is this. Given the serious trauma, the upheaval and the betrayal, the loss, the hatred, the danger, the isolation that David experienced, how come, look at verse 5, he is able to say, I lay down and slept. With all of that going on, how come he was able to go to sleep at night? What was his secret? I think that's what the psalm is all about. It's actually giving us the answers to that question. Four very simple things for you who've been baptized. Four simple things for each of us this evening and this morning. Uh, sorry, the service has gone that long, long uh, while, hasn't it? Uh, I've now slipped into evening mode. Um, the first thing is this. Pray to the Lord honestly. That's verses one and two. David tells the Lord God how it is. He's open and speaks from his heart about reality. And God knows everything already. God knows uh, the pain, trauma, the depth, the detail, the difficulties that David faced, that we faced. But listen to this. God welcomes us into communion, deep, fellowship with himself so that we can openly and honestly bring to him and share all our burdens with him we you when you bring to the lord god those things that trouble your heart very deeply indeed you are not bothering god it is not a bother to him you're not wasting his time he doesn't have better things to do. He wants to listen. He wants to hear. And he does respond to us. As the very famous hymn says, Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Saviour, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. So bring whatever is on your heart to the Lord. Tell him about it. Pour out your heart to him. Tell him now. Tell him right now. In verse 1, David talks about many or numerous foes, that is enemies. Many enemies rising up against him. Uh, and what's described actually is a very frightening picture. The most terrible thing, though, that cut really deep, that went into David's heart, into his soul, and into his inner being are those words in verse 2. People said to him, there is no salvation for him from God. That was their judgment on him. There is no salvation for, for you from God. 
you are that despicable, you are that unclean, you are an infidel, there is no salvation for you from God because you've turned your back on Islam or because your God doesn't exist anyway, just laughable. Or your inner voice actually is reminding you and accusing you of some sin about which you feel very deeply ashamed and you know, you know you were wrong. There is no salvation for you from God because you fill in the blanks. What's on your heart? Psalm 3 foreshadows Jesus Christ, God's king. Here is a King David, and what happened to him and his words foreshadow God's great King David, who had numerous enemies rise up against him. Religious enemies, political enemies, and of course great crowds of ordinary people. They demanded his crucifixion, and then they jeered at him while he was dying on the cross. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. There is no salvation for you. He saved others. He cannot save himself. If he is the king, let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. That's Matthew chapter 27. There is no salvation for him from God. See, this psalm is Jesus' psalm. The amazing and miraculous and ironic thing is this, that Jesus bore all that jeering all that cruelty, all of that opposition, all of those numerous enemies, and it must have been very deeply painful to the very heart of his being, his soul, to hear people say, well, you know, no salvation for you. But he did it. He went through that for you and for me. And so I want to say to you baptism candidates today, People will say, and people have said, we heard you say it earlier on, there is no salvation for you, but there is. There is salvation for you under heaven, and it is given in Jesus Christ. As the book of Acts says, there is no salvation under heaven given to mankind other than Jesus, the name of Jesus Christ, and you've come to him. He is the Son of God who died on the cross to cleanse you. You are not impure. You are not unclean. You have just received the symbols today of your cleanliness in the Lord Jesus Christ. May you never doubt that in your hearts. May God's Holy Spirit fill you with a true and a deep understanding of that in a fresh way today. Verse 1 says uh, these things, uh, and uh, verse 2 is followed by that word selah, which means pause and stop and think, think a little bit more. It is a dev devastating thing to hear. There's no salvation for you from God. But we pause, we reflect today. We've had baptisms, which is a big and a wonderful moment of selah, stop, watch, look, think by Jesus absolutely wonderfully forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ 
So we must pray to the Lord honestly and openly and pray knowing that the Lord Jesus stood and took all those horrific enemies for us, whatever enemies we face. He's borne it on himself and we're forgiven and free. Secondly, believe the Lord God's promises. A real faith is living by and trusting in God's promises and his word. Even when our experiences tell us otherwise, even when our experience tells us the opposite is true, we must keep on trusting the Lord God, despite the terrible, terrible situations that we might face in life. Like David, we must believe that these things are true. There are three of them. Number one, look at verse three. God is your shield. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. God is keeping you safe and secure, and you must believe that promise. Secondly, God will give you dignity. That's the second part of verse three. My glory and the lifter of my head. David's glory as king had been taken from him, and he was running around the countryside like a frightened animal. But one day he looked forward to the Lord, literally lifting his head, his head had been down, but the Lord would lift his head again and return his glory to him. And then verse four, God does answer our prayers. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah, pause, stop, think. These are wonderful promises. Right now, you might feel pathetic or weak or very unimpressive. The situations and the difficulties of life expose us to our weaknesses and our failings and our sin make us vulnerable to very deep shame and yet we can claim in Jesus the promises of this psalm like King David King Jesus had his glory robbed from him as he died on the cross naked and bearing our shame his head bowed in death. But he gloriously rose from the dead. And get this, Romans chapter 8 says, of all those who put their hope in Jesus, for the creation waits. It's, creation itself is like on tiptoe, yearning, craning its neck, rubbernecking, which say English term, to see eager expectation, longing for the revealing of the children of God. We look around and we see the children of God, but not in the glory that we will one day have. One day we will. We'll see one another in the radiant joy and the holiness and the glory that we should have. One day we will have. So we should pray to the Lord honestly and openly from our hearts. And we should believe all of his promises. And thirdly, we should live like those promises are true. We shouldn't just say, know them in our heads. We've got to live like they are true and act upon them. In verses five and six, we come to that remarkable picture there in verse five. Here's how you live. If you believe the promises of God, I lay down and slept. And look at verse six. David's problems haven't gone away. Things have not got better for him. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. The enemies are still there. 
But if God is in control and his, his promises are true, to be our shield, to one day return all of our dignity and glory, and to answer all of our prayers, then we need not wring ourselves out with frazzled worry. We can sleep. Worth pondering again. Salah, pondering. Think about it a little bit more. There's more going on here. This psalm is ultimately about Jesus. And in Jesus, there is more to know about sleep. Sleep means something bigger in the Bible than just having a good night's kip. Psalm 3 foreshadows Jesus. And when it comes to sleep, it foreshadows Jesus there too. From the word go, like David, Jesus was a hunted man. From his birth onwards, people were out to destroy him. And yet we have this stunning picture of him in a wild storm. The seas are raging, the wind won't stop, depicting all the power, the threat, the chaos of hell. That's what the sea and the wind, the storms depict through the Bible, depicted all that is against us. And his friends in the boat, they thought they were all going to die. And Jesus, where was he? Sleep with his head on a cushion. I lay down and slept. It's Jesus. Jesus slept in the face of death. And Jesus actually calls death sleep. He came to a little girl who had died. And he said to the, the gathered folks who were grieving, she's only sleeping. And they laughed at him. He said of his friend Lazarus, who had died and been buried, he's only fallen asleep. And Jesus woke them both from death. And so for Jesus' followers, death is simply sleeping. And in that sense, verse 5 beckons and invites you to believe in your own resurrection. One day you will sleep. But with sleep, you will wake. And it is wonderful and it is true. We must live like it's true. Why? Because it is true. It is true. This is a wonderful hope that we have, and we mustn't lose sight of it. If I may just pause with a little personal cellar, pause, stop, think. Uh, this summer, my two youngest children graduated, both with first-class honours degrees, much to my wife and I's surprise, and to their sister's shock. And we went to their graduations, and they were... Wonderful, wonderful moments. And Tanya and I were very, very proud indeed. It was a day to celebrate and commemorate their success. Wonderful achievements. And uh, each of their ceremonies were filled with all sorts of pomp and music and all that. And people were dressed in very funny clothes, such that if I dressed uh, like I do have the outfit uh, as a bishop, I wouldn't have looked out of place. I could have joined the queue that's how weird the world is if we think the church is weird. And they don't even have a reason to do it, ultimately, because that's what I was left with. What is all the pomp and ceremony for? They wheeled out some wonderful people who gave fantastic speeches and congratulated them on doing so very well. 
And they really bigged up Manchester as a fantastic place that would shake people and make them great in Newcastle. And I was thinking to myself, no, it was the steel city that did that. But that reminded me and Tanya, actually, it wasn't even the steel city. What gives them hope is the hope of another city, the New Jerusalem and resurrection. And Tanya and I wrote that in a card to them both. That's where real hope is. See, we had a moment, two moments, where in real essence, the world offered my children the very best it can offer. And as a dad, not as a vicar or a minister, and as a dad, as a dad, I thought, is that it? Is that all you've got to offer my children? That's pathetic. What's going to happen when things go wrong for them? Your empty words. And even that good when things are going well, if we're really honest. I lay down and slept. What a hope we have in being raised from sleep by the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism is a symbol of that, being dying, being buried and going under the water. Resurrection, coming out, thumbs up, alive, to live forever. Lastly, hope in the Lord's victory. That's where we are leading. Verse 7, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you. Strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break their teeth, to break the teeth of the wicked. Uh, verse 7, it's a, it is an amazing prayer, confident prayer for the Lord to act with great finality uh, uh, and, um, you know, striking the cheek of the enemies. That's just, you know, that's just, that is an insult. Uh, and that's what they are facing. Uh, and then breaking teeth. Uh, well, it could be a predator's teeth. You know, imagine a lion or a hyena, strong jaws, sharp teeth. You know, the, the, the teeth of the enemy, you know, they, they end up being toothless. I mean, what danger is a toothless hyena, really? It runs after you, grabs a hold of your arm and just kind of like you just get a bit of slobber on you because it can't actually do anything. The teeth of the enemy is gone. There is no salvation for you. Well, it, it suddenly is robbed of all its power. Uh, Christopher Ashe has written a wonderful book on the Psalms. Uh, as she says, actually, there's another, another way of thinking about it, actually. If you remove the teeth, and try this with me now. So look at verse 5. Um, no, sorry, verse 2. See those words, there is no salvation for him in God. Can we say those words together with our teeth in? Say those with me. There is no salvation for him in God. It's quite threatening. I didn't really hear you, though. Can you say it in a slightly more menacing way? Again, there is no salvation for him in God. Now do it without teeth. Do that. All right, can you all do that? All right, you ready? There is no, no salvation for him in God. It's laughable now, isn't it? It's laughable. And verse 8 says, there is salvation, doesn't it? There is salvation. Verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Salah, ponder these things. Rejoice in them and have hope in them. We're going to sing our final song. It is well 
with my soul. Uh, and um, let's, uh, let's stand and be ready to sing.